Divine Truth Assistance Group. These group assistance sessions are about putting principles of divine truth into action. This discussion is part of the 2014 Australia Group 1 series. The topic is Understanding Self. Jesus discusses deconstructing the facade self. Filmed on the 13th of July 2014 in Monterey, New South Wales, Australia. Okay. Well, rather than go through a whole heap of introduction material about what is the uh, facade self and why should we deconstruct it and things like that, um, obviously you've just heard what the facade self is and you've just heard you know, the, all of the details about its development and things like that. So I won't, I won't revise all of that, which is what I would normally do if we were starting this talk from scratch. But what we will do is get straight into the real theme of the talk, which is deconstructing the facade self. Now, the first question probably we need to ask ourselves is why bother? Well, if the problems with the facade self aren't big enough for you to bother with, then my suggestion is there's either a really, really, really big facade or uh, you've got no facade self, and either one is highly unlikely. <laughs> so I feel that the problems associated with the facade self are so great that why would we not bother? Like, surely we would, it would be one of our highest priority things to do, deconstruct the facade. And um, you might just, with that, pull, have to pull that cable around the back maybe because um, it's going to get in your way. On the, you'll have to pull it around the other side. Yeah, You can move forward a little. Okay. All right, so how do you feel about deconstructing the facade? Yeah. Well, the reality is our facade um, lives a lot in fear, right? So for the majority of us, we're going to struggle a lot to deconstruct our facade. As we pointed out in the previous talk, it's the most difficult thing that you can achieve, that you will be faced with probably in your entire life, actually. All right, so deconstructing your facade self is the most difficult thing you will be faced with probably for your entire life. So you still up for it? Yep, g'day, let's go. <coughs> That's my opinion. The description of the facade self should give us enough motivation to deconstruct it. It's obviously pretty damaged, isn't it? And obviously struggles. It causes a lot of pain in our life. It causes a lot of pain in the world, actually. Our facade causes the world's pain. So, yeah, of course we'd want to remove it. So let's move on and let's go through some of the reasons. So reason number one, all of the emotions associated with the facade self will continue to dominate our life until we remove them. Now, I mean it's going to dominate the rest of your life until you remove them. Now, if the rest of your life means 10,000 years' time, you still haven't got rid of one of your facades, it's going to dominate 10,000 years of your life. That, that's how long it's going to last. Remember your facade, it's your choice to remove. No one's going to force you to remove it. God's laws, of course, are all constructed to assist you to remove it, and all of God's laws are working against your facade. 
but you're not going to get forced into removing it. That's your choice. So if you choose to not remove it for 100 years, 1,000 years, 10,000 years, that's how long it's going to be there. I've met people who've had their facade for 70,000 years. That's how long you can have a facade in the spirit world. Yep. And during that time, there was no more development after a certain point of their real self. So uh, I wouldn't recommend that. The real love cannot be experienced by the facade. Remember, the facade is all about bartering systems. So the facade self, every one of your facade selves, you know that facade self you created when you were a teenager, you know, and you thought that's the facade where I'm going to get some boys or get some girls interested in me, that facade. You know that one? Yeah, it never got loved because the facade can't be loved. Love love is a soul-to-soul transaction and not a facade-to-facade transaction. So your facade self is never going to experience real love. So there's a good reason for removing it. There's no point to it. If it, if it, if it, and and the, you know, the, the, the painful irony of it is it believes it's going to get loved. Isn't that a painful irony? You create the facade in order to get loved, but if you have to create something in order to get loved, you were never loved in the first place. That's the irony. You see, love is a gift. It's not something that you have to earn from someone. So, so whenever you, you had to create a facade in order to get loved, you weren't getting loved when you were in that situation. You were in a bartering system with that person. Yeah? Okay. The absolute truth will never be accepted by the adult facade. Why? Because the adult facade loves the lie. The adult facade is only interested in the lie. The whole word facade means lie. <laughs> All right? So you're not going to know God's truth when you're in a facade, ever, ever. Loving relationships are not possible for the adult facade, as we've already pointed out. It's impossible for the adult facade to have a loving relationship because every relationship is a facade-based relationship. You're not having a relationship with the real person. You're having a relationship with a figment of somebody's imagination or creation. That's not the real person. So love is not able to be transacted under those circumstances. Humility is not possible with the adult facade. And I mean it's not possible. Is that a bit of a surprise? It's like, oh, yeah, I'm in my adult facade, but I can be humble. No, you can't. While you retain this adult facade, you are never going to be humble because humility is experiencing and feeling, let's define it properly, a passionate desire to feel and experience your real, true, sincere emotions. Does the adult facade have that? Never, never. The adult facade doesn't have that. The adult facade only wants you to experience emotions that you find acceptable, right? That's not, that's not any real emotion, right? To so get a bit of heat going again, just to keep you alive for the next few minutes at least. All relationships of the adult facade are based on bartering addictions with others. 
All relationships are based on bartering addictions with others. What can you give me? What can I give you to make us all both, both happy? Or, you know, again, it's a facade. How can you ever be happy? You're going to have only the appearance of happiness. Right? And that's why many of us, when we go get to be alone, we feel desperately unhappy, unfulfilled, un, 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 and there's all a whole list of uns, isn't there, the things that we don't feel when we're alone. And that's why we have to engage with people, engage with things, engage with food, engage with sex, engage with whatever other addictions we're trying to get involved in, in order to feel something. Because when we're alone, we're already detuned. We want, we want to not feel. The adult facade does not wish to allow the expression of our hurt self. And the next one, the adult facade does not allow the development of our real self because our adult facade has been created to avoid those two selves, to repress them and keep them away from even our own awareness of ourself. So while our adult facade remains... You're never really going to have a decent relationship with anyone. You're not going to have a relationship with God. It's impossible, as we'll point out next. The adult facade cannot have a relationship with God. Because what are relationships with God based upon? Sincere, real feelings and emotions, right? So if we just go to the next line, the God does not want a relationship with our facade, God wants a relationship with your real self. That's not your facade. So, so a relationship between your facade self and God's impossible. This is why many of you don't really have a relationship with God even though you think you do. Because you're attempting to have a relationship with God through a facade. And it's not going to work. It's not ever going to work. Give, you've got to give it up. We want to have a relationship with God by connecting with our real self. Our real self is the individual who has the relationship with God. Now, just as a bit of an aside, our real self, remember, we are only one half of our real self. So that even complicates things further, doesn't it? Because there's actually another person in this world or universe who has the same problems we have probably. So there we go. We've got our three selves, which is our real, hurt, and facade self. And then we meet the other half of our self, and they have a real, hurt, and facade self. And which are the ones that can have a relationship if we want to have a soulmate relationship? Only those two can have a relationship with each other. Right? And that means now there's four selves. When you meet your soulmate, there's now four selves to get rid of. And that's assuming you only have one facade. If you have ten facades, there's now like ten facades each. That's now 22 selves to get rid of. Can you see why when you meet your soulmate it might be a little complicated unless you've dealt with some things? Right? Yeah. 
the soulmate relationship is based on a real self to real self connection. Without developing your real self, you can never meet your soulmate. Ever. You probably won't. And if you do, you wouldn't recognize them anyway, and you'd probably have a relationship with your facades. Right? You've got to get through these layers of yourself in order to have a real relationship with anyone. Very important thing to understand. So there we go. There's obviously lots of other reasons we could come up. We could probably list a hundred reasons as why get rid of it. I think it's fairly self-evident that we need to get rid of it if we ever are going to experience any joy or happiness in our life. Yep. Okay. So the natural question becomes, how? It's, so let's skip through how difficult it's going to be because I've already told you how difficult it's going to be. It's going to be the most difficult thing you've ever done. Ever done. How many of you are up for the challenge? No, maybe not. Maybe I don't know how difficult it is. Tell me how difficult it is and then I'll know whether I'm up for the challenge. <laughs> and every, it, It's going to be different for each of you, obviously, because each of you have different constructions and different things that have helped the assistance of the growth of the facade. So it's going to be a very individual process. Now, some other people can help you at different times, particularly if they've already got rid of their facade and got rid of their hurt. Those kind of people can often help you. But again, on earth, not many people have done anywhere near any work on those two things. So it's very hard to get help except from your celestial friends or from God to get rid of your facade. But let's look at the personal things you need to do. So, shall we? Now, the interesting thing about this is that I first ha I have this information's been on, on my website for nine years. Did any of you know that? No. What does that tell you? <laughs> the lack of desire to look for that bit. <laughs> Mind you, there's, there's a lot of information on the website now, right? There's 1,200 videos and there's... So 1,200 two-hour videos, there's 2,400 hours of video, and then there's, you know, well, actually, no, there's 700 two-hour videos, so there's 1,400 hours of video, and then there's all the FAQs, and most of them are 15 minutes long. There's 500 of those, and then there's all the written documents and all the written material, and then there's all the audios, and then there's, it's like a huge, it's going to be coming like a huge library. It's going to outgrow itself fairly shortly, I think, and... And yet, and yet some of the core material that we need to grow is buried in there. And what we'd like to do in this session is just help re-explain some of it for you. Sound good? So let's go with it. So most of us have never read it, never applied it, so let's uh, have a look at it. What's the process? Step-by-step -step process. Number one, begin where you are. Where we are is in a place of denial, both intellectually and emotionally. Now, for many of you, some of you have begun trying or attempting to deconstruct the facade over years now, or you've been attempting to address some addictions that you have for years now and so forth. So I would say that you are not in that place. 
but there are many parts of your facade that you are in that place with. Does that make sense? Each one of these steps is involved with removing each individual facade attribute. And a facade is usually constructed of hundreds of attributes. Do you know what I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that when you have a facade, you create... So, so, for example, let's say you have a facade in your relationship with your friends. That means that under certain circumstances and situations, you do certain things, isn't it? You do certain things for each friend, usually. Now, you have a relationship in this regard, and as a result, you might have 12 or 15 different attributes or qualities associated with this kind of facade that you automatically engage when you're with those kind or that kind of person. And every one of those individual attributes of that facade have a reason for existing. And you're going to have to notice what they are, every single one of them, and remove them. Because only you can do it. It sounded like a lot of work. So if you've got 15 of them with one group of people, then there's 15 attributes that you're going to have to work your way through one by one on each one of these steps that I'm going through. And there's about 17 steps, 16 steps that you're going to have to go through. Now, some of them you'll go through quite naturally and other ones you'll be stuck on for months because you'll be very resistive. So let's have a look at what they are. So this begin in a place of denial. Now let's firstly look at denial. It's emotional and intellectual, but let's look at the sin description. We need to see that everything that is created by our facade is sin. And you don't generally, most people don't like the term sin. What is it? It's thoughts, Words, <clears throat> actions, and feelings. Which are the result of unloving choices. Or as I've said there, unloving thoughts, words and actions driven by denial of unloving emotions. Your recognition of sin is, is critical to your removal of the facade. In other words, your recognition that you have unloving emotions driving your unloving actions, words and thoughts and feelings, that that needs to be recognised. Now, right at the beginning, most of the time, we're in complete denial of that. So you talk to the average parent, for example, and they say, I've done my best with my children. How dare you suggest to me that I was a bad parent? There's denial, right? Because there is no understanding of sin. There's no understanding of how their actions their thoughts, their words, their feelings and their actions towards their children have damaged their children and how much work now their child is going to have to do to undo that damage. In that place, it's just denial. And that's usually where we start. 
And pretty much all of us start in that place of denial. So that's where we begin. Okay. What's next? We develop an intellectual awareness that the sin exists and it's real. In other words, it's something that is wrong. It's something that is a sin. In other words, we develop an awareness that we are doing something wrong here. We are doing something that's unloving, that's out of harmony with love. Now, at this stage, all we're thinking is intellectual awareness. We've got no emotional awareness at this stage generally. We're just trying to work out, is this right, is this wrong? Is this right, is this wrong? Does that make sense to you? So, for example, for many of us, we look at our situation with our children and we go, no, I'm right, they're wrong, I'm right, they're wrong. And then after a while we start realising, well, hang on a sec, I created and projected most of my emotions on them, so anything they're wrong on it's probably meant that I was wrong first. And then we start developing the fact that, oh, maybe I did something wrong. And this is this stage. The thought that maybe you did something wrong. It's just a thought at this point. It's not, it's not even a, a, a feeling. But there needs to be a development of why it was wrong. Otherwise, you won't think it was wrong. Does that make sense? So, so why is it wrong? Well, if I look at my relationship with my child, for example, I go, well, it was wrong because I can see now that the child is really struggling because of something that I did to them when they were young. So therefore, the fact that they're struggling and in pain means that what I did must have been wrong. So there's an emotional, there's, a, there's an intellectual awareness of why it was wrong now. I did something that caused pain to them. Right? And they didn't have a choice in the matter. They couldn't leave. They, they were trapped. And so what I did was wrong. So this is the first step, or you could say it's the second step, really, isn't it? Because the first step was denial. <laughs> Matthew? Is it normal to experience like emotional distress in this stage? No. Even considering it? No. It's just a thought. Yeah, it's just a thought. You know, it's like a passing thought many times. Oftentimes it's our spirit guide giving us a passing thought. Like, what you just did was wrong. You go, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. <laughs> it's not like someone on earth coming to you. Like, if your child came to you and said, Mum, you treated me badly. No, I didn't. There's a denial, right? And then your child comes to you and says, Mum, you treated me badly. And you go, oh, maybe I did. I don't really know, but maybe I did. And then so you look at it and you go, oh, well, they're in pain. And yes, I did do those things. And when I look at it now, it does appear that it's probably wrong. So I probably did. But at this stage, you're not that worried about it. But sometimes these feelings can go very rapidly. You can turn, these processes can run very rapidly through if you're connected. And what will happen after time, after you've done this many times, with many of your individual attributes of your facades, you will be, it'll become quite a natural process that you'll automatically sort of flow through. Does that make sense? And sometimes you can do it all in a day or, or less. But... Generally, most of our facades are pretty heavy in there, so requires some effort going through it initially in particular. Vanessa, thanks. 
if we have the microphone up there. Sorry, Karen, I know you're taking some notes. What if you've created a facade that you're wrong and that you sort of, um, to avoid probably the real, yeah, so particularly would... as a parent, I sort of, I've never thought that. I've never thought oh, I'm a fantastic parent. I've always felt that yep. I have done damage. Yep. But I'm starting to now realise that um, I, things that I'm comfortable with I'll pick up. Yep. Um, so yeah, for me, I'm having to deconstruct my facade as well on that facade. Correct. You do. It's the same principle. You've got to come aware that you've constructed a facade on that issue. It's the same principle. You've, you've now got to become aware that you've actually constructed a facade that you're never wrong, or you've got to become aware that you've constructed a facade where you believe you're always wrong. But it's still a facade, because no one's ever always wrong and no one's ever always right, generally. Right? Both are facades. And so many of these facades, you've got to understand, many of these facades are things that you think are good, right? There are, there are things you think are good or there are things you think are bad. But either way, they're a facade. And, this, and the deconstruction process applies to every one of them, whether you thought they were good or thought they were bad or whether someone else constructed it or whether you constructed it. It doesn't matter. The same material applies to every one of them. So if you've gone around going like... So, for example, you constructed a facade with your children that you could never do anything wrong, right? And now you realise you've done a few things wrong. The lady next to you, Karen, has constructed a facade where she always does something wrong and, and she's always to blame for whatever they blame her for, whatever her children blame her for. Well, that's also a facade. So you've got almost completely opposite facades sitting next to each other. Does that make sense? Both are facades and both need to be deconstructed. And is that kind of like um, we look at our parents and we go, oh, I don't want to be like that. Yeah. So we create the opposite facade. Like the injuries, do, yeah. the error's still there. Yep. So, yeah, for me, um, I've You've gone out and I've made female friends because my mum never had female friends mm -hmm. thinking that I'm doing something different when Yeah, I'm not. but you're not. You're just thinking it, right? It's just a facade. The feeling inside of you is you can't trust women at all because you can't trust your mother, right? Because she treated you badly and you can't trust her anymore. That's what you feel. Once the hurt's gone, then you'll be able to have a decent relationship with a woman, but not before then. Any other relationship you have with a woman uh, before then is a facade. Okay? So this is just a state of intellectual awareness that there's something, something is wrong and you've sort of identified what it is. You might have identified what it is. So let's go for it. Now, there needs to be now a stage where we have an intellectual awareness that the unloving behaviour, the sin, has a cause within us. In other words, it wasn't some magical thing that made me do it, you know, like, oh, the spirits around me made me do it, or, you know, some kind of thing like, oh, the devil made me do it, or, you know, we, we come up with all these things that we imagine that uh, we, we blame it on other people. Well, you, because you did that, that's the reason why I did it. Or you blame your partner. Well, they did that first and so that's why I did it. Or you blame your children. You did that first. You were unruly and you were this and ter terrible, so that's why I treated you unlovingly. You know, you've got to get beyond that and into this place where you realise that the cause of what you chose to do, the sin, is caused by something inside of you. 
So me, it's in me, it's in me. The cause is in my soul. Cause in me. Do you know that's where most of you are stuck? (laughs) Most of you have yet to come to an intellectual awareness that the cause of of the problem that you're stuck on is actually within you. And quite often I hear you going, oh, yeah, but my mother did this and my father did that. No, 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 I'm sorry. All of that might be true, but at the end of the day, the cause of your behaviour, your unloving behaviour, is inside of you. The cause of all of your desires for you, all of your addictions and all of your facade and all of your, that's all now in you, only in you. Right? So we need to see that, have, have an awareness that there must be an emotion in me that causes me to take this action. There must be. And this is an, an intellectual awareness that there's got to be an emotion in me that to- caused me to take that action. Now, many of you, when you're in your addiction, you don't feel that at all. You know, you know when you feel angry, what are you feeling? You're feeling, the bastard. What did they do to me, right? It's always blaming someone else, isn't it, generally, when you're angry. So that there's an indication that there's no emotional or intellectual awareness that actually the cause is within you. And if you can't get beyond this point, there's no hope for you to release any facade. Okay, so once we have this intellectual awareness that the cause is within ourselves, what, what do you think we need to do now? Well, let's have a look. We need to now have a willingness to find it. <laughs> Does that make sense? We need to have a willingness to identify the cause. And at this stage, it's just going to be intellectual because there might be a whole heap of emotional reasons why we don't want to. But at least intellectually we're going, okay, I want to now spend some time here with me thinking about this issue as to why I take that unloving action all the time and, and I've now identified intellectually that it is a sin, that it is something that's wrong. At this stage I don't have much emotional connection to it most probably but at least I'm willing to go take the next step intellectually. I'm willing to, to, to look at it with more sincerity. Does that make sense? Now, if you don't get to here, there's no hope of you ever emotionally processing it. Because if you're unwilling to even intellectually look at it, how can you ever emotionally process something that you're unwilling to even intellectually see? It's going to be relatively, it's going to be pretty much impossible. Okay, so this is about what Mary talked about yesterday developing the muscle, developing the will. I want to find it. And that's emotional. That's another emotion that has to be developed that comes from your real self, developing the will within the real self to actually discover the cause of your choices to sin. What's the underlying reason? So this is important. So what's next? The intellectual awareness of the cause. So what's the difference between this and the previous step? The previous step was a willingness to find the cause, and then the next step is 
I've now become aware intellectually of the cause. That makes sense? Now, sometimes they happen very close together, but sometimes they are a long way away from each other. Because <laughs> sometimes you can say, I really want to find out what's the reason why I'm doing this, and then you go and do it again. Because at this stage, it's all intellectual, right? You go and do it again. You go, there I go again. Man, I really want to find out what's going on, you know, become aware of this cause, what's going on. And then someone comes into your life or something happens or a law of attraction happens and it's like a light bulb goes on and go, and this is your, this by the way, is when you say you have a light bulb moment, that's, that's what it is. You've now become intellectually aware. Now your spirit guides and your spirit friends are always trying to help you do this, right? And by the way, the spirits who are in codependent addiction with you are always trying to prevent you from doing this. And your spirit guides are always trying to help you do it and your spirit addictions are always trying to stop you from doing it. So if, so if, so if someone who's in a spirit addiction with you is with you and they're watching you and they're going, how can I manoeuvre this person around so they never have a light bulb moment? <laughs> right? That's how they feel. Because I, they want the codependent addiction with you. They don't want you to have a light bulb moment on that issue. Right? And your spirit guide's going, how can I help them have a light bulb moment? And sometimes it's like that. It's like back and forth, back and forth between these two different voices almost. And it is two different voices really trying to, try to induce you to get to a stage, one trying to prevent you and one trying to help you get to the stage where you have a moment where you go, wow, I just realised what it's all about. Right? Without the exercise of your own will, you won't even get there. You won't ever have the light bulb moment. Okay, Alan. I thought that having an intellectual awareness of the cause wasn't much help. We'll get to that. Oh. You're jumping ahead. <laughs> Let's have a look. We have an intellectual awareness of what we believe to be God's truth. In other words, we now are... Intellectually, we think we know the cause at this point, right? We've gone through this process of being, of desiring to find something. So, so we're not inactive anymore. We're not just sitting there going, no, there's nothing wrong with me. We're, we're actually now focused on finding out what is wrong, right? And we go through developing the willingness intellectually. So we're at least going, okay, I have intellectual willingness to actually find out what this is about. And then we become aware through the light bulb moment. And then at that stage we go, wow, it's definitely wrong. I can see now that if I've got that emotion, then I've definitely got an issue I've got to resolve. And so now we have an intellectual awareness of, of a truth, and that is I have to resolve this particular problem. And it's most probably associated with this conduct or behaviour that I've now identified as sin, as something that's wrong as something that's out of harmony with love. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so at this stage, you will ask yourself about what God's truth is about the behaviour, but that doesn't mean at this stage that you will actually know. <laughs> you're just asking yourself. You're, you're trying to feel about, or think probably more accurately to say, think about what the problem might be. Okay. 
So we get there and now we've got to have a bit of a think about this issue. So let's have a think about this issue. Even though we've been through all of that, I've not yet made any real soul change. Now, that is where I see most religions and most New Age principles stop. That's where they stop. Because they say, I've resolved it. I had my light bulb moment. There's my yo-ho, beautiful, magical change. And we're all resolved now. We're great. We're going good. All right. Di, thanks. I'm just reflecting on that individual, like the awareness of mm. the behaviour thing intellectually. And like, would that be when I might go, oh, I just really want to punish that person? Is, or is yeah, it something, yeah, it can be like that. that. Yeah. I, I do feel, yeah. I can feel this feeling in me that I do want to punish yeah. them. And so there's an intellectual awareness. Yeah, I do want to punish them, yeah. actually. It is, a, it is an admission yeah. of the issue. You see, you see, most of us won't even admit an issue. That's, we're so, we lack so much humility, we can't even admit to ourselves intellectually that we have an issue, let alone go and find out what it is and deal with it. All right? That's a problem, isn't it? Like, how are you ever oh, going to yeah. change if you can't even admit to yourself there's something wrong? Impossible. Yeah. So this process of intellectual awareness is basically the intellectual admission that there is something wrong and there's also sort of some light bulb moments involved where you realise, oh, Maybe it's that. Does it make sense? Yep. Now, most people in the world and most people in life get to that stage and they say, it's all done. That was easy. Let's get on to the next one. <laughs> Matt, you want to say? <laughs> and then we just develop this like really pseudo-spiritual creepy facade about it all, Correct. I think. That's exactly what we do. We go, yeah, aren't I cool? I've just, done a, I've just done a major thing. I've just, you know, made a major change in myself. And you know what? Nothing's happened. I'm guilty of doing nothing's, that. Nothing's changed, really. And in fact, if you're honest with yourself, you'll know nothing's changed in your next six months of life because you'll just go plough on with the same life, even though you've made this magical change. All right? And that's proof that nothing's changed. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to be honest with ourselves. This is where yesterday was important. Analyse yourself. Has anything really changed? No, it's not really changed. Then no real change has happened. I can have these intellectual light bulb moments. I can have a hundred of them in a day and nothing will really change. There's got to be a soul-based change, an emotional change for any real change to occur. Everyone gets that? Okay, that's the way the soul works. So even though I have an intellectual awareness, I've not made any soul changes yet. I've just got to this stage where I'm willing to even examine that there might be a problem. And I've actually started to even identify the problem, attempt to identify the problem, rather than just ignore it for the rest of my life. However, now that I've done all that, I can begin to make a soul-based change. You see, this is why those steps are important. Even though they're intellectual, they're important. Because without them, you will refuse to make soul-based changes. And remember, your facade wants to hold on to its facade. So it's going to light the refusal. 
It's going to light you, tuning and zoning out of all that. And, it, and of course, while you're doing that, any spirits that come into your life, they are also going to influence you to not know, not know what's going on, not be aware. Okay, so what do we do now? We've got to enter the soul-based process. This is a process that involves a soul-based awareness. Now, imagine for a moment that I had an intellectual awareness. My child comes to me and says, Dad, you've done this damage. And I go, no, Evan, it's all your fault. You know, what do you expect of me? You know, I'm just normal. I've got flaws. You know, there's my denial, right? And then after a while, I go away from that and I go, oh, it's not really fair to him to say all that. Um, you know, and he's probably right, you know, so I have now some intellectual awareness that what he's saying is probably right, you know. And then I go through a desire. I go, well, you know, most people stop at that point. They don't even bother going any further. But then the next step is go, am I willing to change something here? So I need to say, oh, well, yeah, I'd like to change that. I'd like, you know, so I intellectually believe I'd like to change that. And then I become aware of what I need to change. Now, it's only a thought at this stage, so I'm not certain whether that's the thing, but I'm at least becoming or trying to become aware that there is a problem and what I need to change. And then I get to see, well, yes, I do need to change on that issue because it's something I've identified. All of that intellectual process hasn't involved my soul necessarily. Right? It has required a soul-based will exercised in that direction to engage, though. So this is one advantage at this point. I am now developing my soul-based will in a more loving direction. So rather than denying, I am at least wanting to intellectually look at things. So that's a good change, isn't it, between total ignorance and desire for ignorance into some kind of emotional uh, some kind of intellectual desire to, uh, when I say intellectual desire, an intellectual thought to, oh, maybe I should give it a go, you know. But this emotional awareness is very different. So once the child comes to me and says, Dad, you did these things, and I go, yeah, I did these things, I, I, once I realise I've done those things, I might skip straight into here. And an emotional awareness is where I probably have a good cry about the fact that I did it. So now I've become emotionally aware that the sin exists, that I did something wrong and it's real. Does that make sense? By actually going through an emotion. It requires an emotion to be processed here. It's a soul-based feeling that what I'm doing is wrong rather than just an intellectual thought. It's a soul-based feeling of why it's wrong rather than just an intellectual thought. It's a soul-based feeling about what I believe God's truth to be on the matter rather than an intellectual thought. Does that make sense? That's our next step. That's the first step of the soul part of processing through things. What's the next one? It's a soul awareness that the sin has a cause within ourselves. That this is where we actually stop blaming other people for what we did. You see, most of you will do this with any interaction. You go, somebody will come to you and say, "Oh." You treated me very unloving there. And you go, yeah, I did. I feel really bad about that. But, and then what do we do? We minimise it, justify it, shift the blame, 
try to blame them, try to blame the universe, try to blame our own parents, try to blame God, try, <laughs> basically try to disclaim any personal responsibility. Uh, a person in this state does not do that. A person in this state knows the cause is within themselves and they are really focused on trying to release it. It's a soul-based feeling that the emotion within myself causes me to take the sinful action. And so I no longer blame anybody else for it. Karen? How is that step different to an intellectual awareness? Well, here I'm feeling some feelings now. When you get to this place, you're going to be gutted emotionally, literally. Does that make sense? Whereas before you were only thinking about things. At this point, you're going to be very, very upset because you're, going, you're now processing your way through some emotion regarding the problem. In this case, we're talking about the facade, so you're going to be processing through an emotion regarding, wow, I created that inner facade to avoid all of this stuff inside of myself, and you'd just be gutted that you chose to take an action that was unloving towards another person, and you, you'll be really emotionally affected by it. With all the soul-based awareness steps, you will be emotionally affected so much that you won't be able to think of anything else, sometimes for days and sometimes for weeks, because you're so emotionally affected by the actual processing through of the actual problem. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, all those excuses that we went through yesterday with Corny about the um, I'll die and all that, is that coming from the facade at yeah, this point at false. this point to prevent yeah. any real emotion coming up? And it's also to prevent any real desire to go through this process. Yeah. Does that the, make sense? The capping of... They're all the excuses you give yourself. Yeah. So all of those things that you call your fears, they're all your excuses. You really only have three problems, as Corny pointed out to you yesterday. You have no faith, you have no desire to be emotionally overwhelmed, or you have no desire for truth. They're the real three problems. Everything else is just an excuse. A person who's really got some faith knows that they can cope with anything and wants the truth will go through this process, and they won't give you any excuses. They'll just do it. Yeah. Okay. What's next? It's a soul willingness to identify the cause. Now, it's very similar to the intellectual willingness with the exception that it's emotional process now. <clears throat> I want to, with all of my heart, find out what this is about. Because, it's, because, I, because I've, in the last two steps, I've had to process emotionally of the damage that it did. I've gone through some repentance by this stage usually about the damage that I've done. And at this stage I'm starting to go, wow, this damage is like incredibly complex. It's harmed that person. Their whole life has been affected by it. It's terrible. Like, like I said, you'd be gutted by the experience of it. And so you now want to know. Like you, you will put, when you get to this stage, it won't be like sit down for 10 minutes and work out what it might be. It'll be like every day and night, <laughs> prayer, contemplation, analysis of what it is. Does that make sense? It'll be a completely different experience now. You won't be just intellectually trying to find it. Your whole being will be focused on trying to find the reason inside of yourself as to why this bad thing occurred, why this thing out of harmony with love occurred. 
Okay. Once we do that, we come to a soul-based awareness. Because once you have the will, all of God's universe is there to help you come to an awareness. And you now engaging your will in the soul manner that it needs to be engaged means that within a few moments or and usually a few days, if not a few hours, you get to this point where you're now emotionally aware of the cause within yourself. You now know exactly what it is and there's no ifs, buts and you, you could talk to 100 people and they could all disagree with you and you'd still know. That's how it is. You know for certain at this stage what the cause is within yourself. And you feel it. You know it because you feel it as an emotion. And like I point out there, at this point we often find that our intellectual concept of the cause was completely wrong. Right? It was something completely left field that we couldn't even imagine. Right? But we had to go through the intellectual process, otherwise we wouldn't even got to this stage. Okay. Then what do we do? A soul emotional willingness to experience the pain from the expiation of error. In other words, we've identified the cause and if there is a willingness in our soul to feel it, we will now go through the actual release of emotion that will heal us. This process is, the, is one of the most productive processes now because now, with the, through this process, we have finished up with getting rid of the reason why we did it. Now, once you've gotten rid of the reason why you've done it, you will never do it again under any circumstances. It won't, be, it won't be automatic for you to do it. It will be automatic for you to not do it. So let's say the problem was something like, I'm a man, I'm sexually projecting at all these women all the time. And I go through and I realise that it's a sin. I go through, you know, I have the intellectual awareness of some, some cause within myself. I imagine what it is, you know, I don't know, you know, I come to some reason of why I do it. And then I start becoming emotionally aware I do it and I start going through some emotional processes of what I'm doing. And then I get to this stage, I will actually release from me the cause of why I do it. And from that moment on, I will never sexually project at another woman again. Ever. And it won't be an effort, it will be automatic. Huh? It'll be in my automatic state. And the only person after that point that I'd ever have any sexual interaction with is my soulmate, but only if she was open emotionally and available emotionally to enter that sexual relationship. That make sense? because I've actually gone through the actual emotion that caused the behaviour. Okay, so the next step. There's a soul, emotional release of the cause. I'm now crying, crying, crying. Dealt with the, I'm dealing with the cause. I'm releasing it from myself emotionally. There's an actual release. You will feel after this process you will feel like an almost entirely different person. 
And then what's next? I now know what the truth is. Now I have written in my soul, yeah, a nice Bible verse says that God's trying to write the law of love on your soul. Now I have written in my soul the law of love on that issue. It's there. Bang. Well, I've actually gone through a soul-based change. There's no danger of me ever doing it again unless I purposefully choose to do it. And I'll know that I've purposely choose to do it. It won't be an automatic process that I automatically sin anymore. It'll be an automatic process that I don't on that issue. You wanted to ask Matt? So there's some things that I've gone through, some of the process that you're talking about Yep. Um, with, with certain numbers of issues that I have in yep. my soul. But I think maybe I've tricked myself into thinking the truth is in my soul when I only have an intellectual understanding of the truth because I haven't gone through maybe I haven't gone through the whole process. Correct. I don't think with anything actually. Yeah. What 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 most people f- have find is when they understand this properly, they start to see and, and when you have your first whole full experience, mm. the whole I think it's sixteen or fifteen steps or whatever it is in a row, and you actually come out the end completely different, you'll go you'll be able to at that point go, well, that's what it feels like to make a soul change. And once you know what it feels like to make a soul change, then you'll know whenever you haven't done it. (laughs) But at the moment, many of you are thinking you made soul changes when you haven't done one, right? So I agree. For most people, they've not ever made one of these complete soul changes uh, on any one issue. You've, you've done different steps of different things. You've got to different points with different issues that you haven't gone beyond. Once you get to this point, you are a changed person, completely changed person. And what I love about that point is you, every action after that is automatic on that issue. You don't even have to think about it anymore. Right? You're placed in situations where you're put under pressure, you, you respond completely different than you would have before. And it's automatic. You don't even think about it anymore. And that's a wonderful place to be. It's worth having at least one of those experiences just to get to that feeling. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you. Karen? Um, I'd like to think that there are small, easy issues to pick to do the whole process. Ah. <laughs> yeah, there are. Of course there are. All right. but, but you've got a question. Can I just make a statement to you that's really clear and logical? If you pick a small, easy issue, then there'll be a small result. If you pick a big, hard issue, there'll be a very, very large result. What would you prefer? Would you prefer a large result or a small result? I was thinking it would be nice to experience the whole process so I know what I'm doing. Yeah, but you're gonna, it's going to hit you far more strongly if you have a large process than a small one. A small one, you might not barely notice maybe, right? And the large one is what builds faith. Yeah. 
because you've actually gone through the entire experience and now you know you can do it, you know you can cope with the process, you, know, you, you now have faith in God, you have faith in the way your soul has been built. You now, you think of Corny's talk yesterday, so you now have faith in God, you have faith in yourself because you've done it. You also now, on top of that, have an awareness that you can emotionally cope with anything and then on top of that, you know that facing personal truth is the best possible thing you could have done because you're now completely changed and so you have far less resistance to truth. Now, if you have a large experience like that, that's what will happen. If you have a small experience, then all those changes will be small. I don't know about you, but you know what makes sense to me? Do the large things first. That's what I would do. That's what I've tried to do. Now, your soul doesn't always work that way, of course, because sometimes it's the largest things that end up being last because you've got the most resistance. But if you know there's big things within you right at this point, why not start with them? It doesn't make sense to start with a little one and go, oh, you know, to me, that's fear driving that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Give up the fear. You know, this is part of the process we're going to have to give up. Focus on your fear first. Go through this process with your fear. You know, fear creates almost every sin you've ever created. If you give up fear and you know you can emotionally process it and you get to this place where you actually do go through it, imagine the change in your life. Just that one emotion. Like if it was me, I'd say, right, that's identified. You've just intellectually identified your fear. Develop a willingness to go through this with your fear and you'll be changed woman. Does that make sense? Yeah. Don't, like, honestly, if the little ones are there, process them. But most of us, most of us are going like, there's the big, there's a big mountain of crap in the room. And what do we do? We go around it, around it, around it, saying it doesn't smell. You like that illustration? Yeah. yeah. And we're just fooling ourselves. Why, why not start with it? Like, if you go into a home and there was a big lump of shit, right? Like, I mean, like. Like somebody had been crapping there for the last year, right? And it's just right in the middle of the room. Imagine the stench, right? And, and you just go, yeah, I think I'm going to paint the wall. <laughs> is, that, is that what you would do? Yeah, I think I'll tidy up the kitchen. It's a bit of a mess, right? I don't, I don't think so. I think you'd be focusing on what the biggest problem is first, wouldn't you? So it's very interesting that from a physical perspective, that's what we do. We focus on the biggest problem. So when you walk into a room to clean it up, you usually focus on the biggest problem first, generally, right? And then you work your way down to the little ones. But when it comes to our emotions, you know what we do? Exactly the opposite. Why do we do that? Because we're afraid. Uh, We need to start treating our spiritual and emotional life like we treat our physical life. We focus on the big problems first. so, So emotionally, focus on the big problems first. The biggest problem you're going to face, like I said, is fear. Focus on that first. You get through that one, your life's going to be very different. right? It's going to be like, oh, I'm a different person. It's a different life after you get through some of that. So focus on that first. Now, what you do is up to you. It's your will, but that would be my recommendation. I wouldn't treat it like, you know, like I would do crap in the middle of the room. I I wouldn't just sit it there and leave it there and go around saying, oh, it's pretty smelly in here, but, you know, I think I'll go over and deal with that. I wouldn't do that. It's not a good idea. A lot of times the big problems are very obvious to us and they're very easy to identify intellectually 
very easy to understand many of the causes intellectually, very easy to, to see intellectually that they're there and what God's truth on the issue is, but very hard to emotionally process. And, one, and it's only when you get through the emotional process that you will actually have a deep faith in you that you can do it with any issue. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Why are you clapping for? <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I'm just joking with you. Honestly, when you go through that process with just one thing, you're going to come out the other side feeling like a different person on that thing. And, and once you've done that once, you'll have more faith in God, more faith in yourself, more love of being emotionally, of emotional work, and more love of truth than you've ever imagined you could have when you go through that process. The hardest thing to do is go through that process once, the first time because it's going to feel pretty stressful going through that process the first time. Right? You, remember I said some of the time, some, sometimes we're going to have to go through this process a hundred times on a, on a hundred different subjects. So, so this is a process you've got to get used to. It's a process you want to engage and understand, be, have a soul-based awareness. You want to study it. Does that make sense? Now, this outline will be on the internet exactly as we've presented it there. So, you know, what I would do is I'd print out the outline and I'd study it. And I'd go, what does this mean? What does this mean? And I'd work it out. Even intellectually, it's going to benefit you if you can do that. Work out what each step inv involves from, a, from an intellectual and emotional process and then try to take yourself through it. Ask God for help to take you through the process. Now, when Mary comes and presents to you, like her, going through the hurt child's emotions, it's exactly the same process. She's going to add some additional thoughts for you, but it's exactly the same process, right? And, and this is the same process with everything inside of you that's out of harmony with love. Now, when I wrote that material nine years ago, um, I wrote it to a group of people um, who kicked me off their forum, actually, afterwards, <laughs> um, because, because some of them had asked, how do I really change? And that was my response to them. That's how you really change. You go through that process with every single thing, every issue that you can think of. That's what you do. Now, you can see from that that it is a difficult process, isn't it? So I'm not, I'm not making out to you it's an easy process. Every facade we created is going to have a... It was a difficult process to create it. It's going to be quite a complicated, difficult process to undo it, of course. Now, if you can remember that there are some simple like, things we've got to follow, that will help you immensely. But it's not going to be easy. Like I said, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done, without a doubt. Once you've gotten rid of your facade, feeling the hurt child almost feels like a breeze sometimes in comparison. And, and developing your real self is a joy. Like it's just fantastic fun to develop the real self. Right? And imagine developing your real self without any fear. 
developing yourself, real self without any desire or ang- anger to you know, harm other people, desire to harm others. Developing yourself under those circumstances, you can't really make a mistake because all the reasons inside of you for making mistakes have all disappeared. So this is going to be the most difficult process. Remember, the facade self wants to keep itself. The facade self wants to you know, hold on to the resistance to truth. It wants to not have any faith. It wants to retain itself. It wants to avoid all emotion. It wants to do all of these things. That's why it's going to be hard. But, but let yourself go through it even once. That's all I suggest you. Even once. Do it once with one thing. Go through the entire process. It will build an immense amount of knowledge and faith inside of you about how your soul works. And once you've got that knowledge, you can apply it to every single thing you visit in your life. Right? And that's what I love about what God has done with the soul is that God hasn't made it as hard as you think. There are things that you can do that are logical that will lead you through a process, but it requires a large amount of effort and will. And this is why it's so important to develop that will like a muscle. You know, Start off weak, develop it so you're strong with regard to the way in which you process through these things. Rachel, you want to ask? In relationship with our soul made in our will i'm just wanting to know how and i'm sure you've answered this before it's a constant question for me how connected is our will in terms of if we're striving to make those changes and our soulmate isn't and our will is very connected does that make it more difficult or how connected is our will in terms of our soul mate instead of your soul mate is that what you're asking yes yeah and um, and I think from what I've already talked about, if you look at it from a logical perspective, you can see that everything you do to improve your will automatically is going to assist the other half of yourself. So it actually is going to make it easier for the other half of yourself, not more difficult. And conversely, if, if, if they do, if they don't, does it make it more difficult for you? Well, not initially because you're so detuned from them anyway. It has no effect on you. Does that make sense? Over time it may, you may come up with some of these emotions. Remember the biggest emotions you're going to have inside of yourself are going to be, firstly, number one set of emotions that are the largest are all of the emotions you have that oppose your relationship with God. And then the second set of largest emotions are all the emotions you have that oppose the relationship with the other half of yourself. If you deal with those two sets of emotions first, which we're all capable of doing, then you'll draw your soulmate into your life quite rapidly, but also you'll heal a lot of yourself. There'll be bits and pieces left over. And as, the, as you go through that, they will be drawn into your life and then they will also have to at some point make their own choice to do the same thing you did. That's where it gets a bit tricky, right? Because they have a, d- a developed will of their own and not always in the same direction, right? So, so this is where you'll need all of the things you've learned, patience, love, kindness, understanding, compassion, an understanding of where you've been, where you've had to come through, what you've had to do, and you'll automatically have all of that because you've already done it. So of course you'll have all, that, all those feelings inside of yourself. And the, all those feelings inside of you is, means that you're going to be compassionate, understanding to them. 
you're going to be able to, even that compassion and understanding is going to help them engage the process. So it's far better for you to engage this process even by yourself than it is to wait for your soulmate to come along and try to engage it together. Here goes Cecilia and then up the back. Um, so would you say um, for, for people who are already in a relationship, would you say to first sort out the relationship with God issue, then because um, they, they, for people who, who are already in a relationship but they, they're, they're not sure if they're with a soulmate, so it's best to sort out the relationship with God first. Um, all of these questions associated with what do I do first, what do I do next, are all driven by fear. So my suggestion to people asking those questions is deal with your fear first. <laughs> Make that the first big process you go through. Because, because once you go through your fear, you won't ask those questions about what's my next thing that I should do. Because, because what will happen is you'll automatically embrace as many things as possible simultaneously. Does that make sense? Okay. So the reason why we want to manage a process and we want to do one thing at a time is because we're afraid of being emotionally overwhelmed, right? which is what Corny talked about with you yesterday. We don't believe we can cope doing two things at the same time or three emotions at the same time. Right? That's, isn't that the case? So, so my suggestion is fear is driving those questions. So I would first deal with my fear, not with the issue with God, not with the issue with who's my soulmate, but my fear of everything. <laughs> Go through that first. And then once you've gone through that, you'll be able to probably process one, two or three or even more things at the same time. Yep. Thank you. Now we've got some rain. We'll see how loud it gets. <laughs> Alan. Oh, up the back uh, next. Far away. Oh, um, so when you go through a process now, and you know, you've talked about the steps that you go through a process, you know, to, to get yep. down to the grief or the shame. Is there fear involved still? Yeah, I oh, still have fear. Okay. If, yeah, I, okay. if I didn't have fear, I'd be at one with God. Yeah, now. yeah, that's what I was just thinking, because you're not getting rid of all of your fear, just about. One particular thing. Correct. This is ah. what you've got to remember. Yeah. You've got to remember that I'm talking now about each individual issue. Okay. Right? This is a process for each individual issue. And just because you've done it on one issue doesn't mean you have done it on all of them. But it'll be easier because <laughs> you be know that you get because you've done it, it once. Yeah. 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 And if you do it twice, three times, four times, five times, obviously the more times you do it, the better it gets, right? Yeah. Yep. Um. I can I can see how the sin would be involved with the anger. Yep. Um, if if I had a situation where I was angry. Yep. But I'm having a hard time understanding a situation where I had fear. Yep. And a lot of people have a lot of difficulty understanding that fear is sin. All right. And and that's a completely different discussion in its own right. And. But if you can, uh, the best thing for us to do, we're not going to be raising the issue of what is sin at, in, this, in this whole thing. We, we were try, we're trying to help you identify what it is. But I can assure you that every time you enter a state of fear, 
you are doing harm either to yourself or to someone else. And every time you do harm to yourself or someone else, you are sinning. You are unloving to yourself or someone else. So therefore it is a sin. Now, fear creates the worst possible problems on this planet. All wars have been created by fear. All murders have been created by fear, generally. All rapes are created by fear. Did you know that? Rapes even are created by fear. The men who rape are afraid of something, right? And, and most people have no awareness of that, right? But they are. They're afraid of a lot of things, actually. They're afraid of not being loved by women, by not being wanted by women, not, wa- not wanting to feel those emotions, so they get angry. And when they get angry, they then go and do something that's out of harmony with love. Right? Fear is the underlying seed of almost all of our world problems. So fear is certainly, from God's perspective, out of harmony with love and therefore a sin. Now, that's a general statement. We can go into each individual fear and actually work out how it's a sin and why it's harming other people and why it's harming ourselves. But that's a process that you need to go through and understand. And the, the last part is identifying the difference between um, a fear that's from something that I did wrong and a fear that's from something I didn't do wrong? Well, there, there's what I would classify as sins of omission, things that you should, should have done but you didn't do, and then there's sins of commission, things that you, sh- that you did do that you shouldn't have done. Right? And fear has a tendency to drive both of those. Right? So sometimes you don't do something you should have done because you're afraid. And sometimes you do something that you shouldn't have done because you were afraid. And, sin, and, and so the sin, the effect, so remember the sin, the unloving action, word or deed, uh, is, is the effect of the underlying cause, which was the fear. So, for example, why do most people have an abortion you know, who, who don't want a child? Why do they have an abortion? Because they're afraid of bringing up the child. They're afraid of putting the child into some kind of other person's care once it's, once it's born. And so they decide to get rid of the child, which is a sin, the act of murder. Right? So most of our actions are driven by this fear. But I won't get into a discussion of fear now. Okay? Okay. Well, we'll have a break, shall we? Um, I don't know how we're going with our sound with the rain. How's it going? We'll persist with it. Um, have you reached saturation point, is what Mary wants to know today. Be honest. How many would say, yes, I've I'm, I'm had it? About, about half. Yeah. So what do we do? What do what I do? Yep. Yep. Put the. Ah, oh, I see. What happens with all the addiction stuff then? And what happens with all the forgiveness stuff? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that's a possibility. 
Um, can we just discuss with you what we were just talking about? Um, the way we've structured this week is we've got we've had today, yesterday, today, we've got two more days of fairly intense uh, information. The ne- tomorrow is all about addictions, and the next day is all about forgiveness and repentance. It's an all, all very important information. Um, and then what we were going to do is have a day's break, and then we were going to have two days of revision. Does that make sense? That's what we were going to do. We have an option of stopping now if you wish, just so that you can cope with what you've already heard, and and basically moving the repentance and forgiveness stuff onto one of those days that we were going to do homework on. And that would only leave us then with one day for a discussion of all of your homework. So what would you prefer to do? Couldn't we use the day off? Um, I don't want to use the day off because I feel by the time we have done the next two days, many of you are just going to be basically not being able to listen anymore. <laughs> and I need to give you... And then I don't get any day off either. So, yeah. Yep. And if we go back to Cess. Cess now. Could we... Uh, take a rain check and a little bit like, I don't know, a couple of hours, few hours, I'm not sure what time it is, and see if having a rest might just... Yeah, could, could do. I what know could my do. brain could do with a rest and then I might be ready to go again. What we could do is we could take a break now, have dinner, and then maybe Mary does her presentation immediately after dinner. Yeah, I like would that idea. Would you prefer idea. to do that? I like that, that idea. that would just give you some time to settle with what we've already done? If you can bring a microphone up, so Mary. Thanks. Because I'm going to hit you with new stuff to think about. You know, it's related, but it's more steps, it's more things. And I think, I just feel everyone, it's good to digest where you're at as well, isn't it? Yeah. 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 So what if we do that? What if we have a break now? We don't do the personal truth sessions. We'll just leave those for today. We'll, We'll have a break now. We have dinner at four like we would normally. And then straight after that, at five, or just a bit after five, whenever dinner finishes, we come back here, and Mary's talk will take about an hour to an hour and a half, and we should be done still by 6, 6.30. And you still have time in the evening. The supper will be at seven anyway, so you have time for supper. And what if we do it that way? Does that sound all right with you? Bit of a compromise, but it's quite good. Um, Yep, you've got their mic, so... Um. Jesus, was there, was there any homework from the first two sessions that we've done today that you wanted to? There will be, yes. Yeah, okay. Yep. Mary's going to be discussing oh, Mary's going to do that. our okay. homework with you. <laughs> yeah. My feeling is you need to sit with what you've just heard and uh, try to uh, grasp it and understand it if you can. And, and in particular, if you struggle with what I just went through with the facade self, my suggestion is to go back to the previous presentation and try to understand the feelings of each part of yourself. The feelings of the real self, the feelings of the facade self, the feelings of the hurt self. Try to understand and feel those a bit. And that, that'll help you quite a lot if you didn't do that. So that sound all right to you? Sounds like a decision? Yep, everyone's okay with that? Okay, so we'll catch you uh, up uh, probably at four then in the, in the room uh, for supper, uh, for dinner. 
and uh, and just after five, hopefully, we'll be finished that, and we'll be able to come back out here and do an hour to an hour and a half, where Mary will present some more new information to you about the hurt child. Yay! <laughs> Can I just ask some other logistical issues? Is everyone frozen solid, or you're okay? It's warmed up a little, I feel, isn't it? Uh, It seems a bit warmer, yep. Another really banal thing, when you go to have your dinner, where I've asked them to serve all the salad dressings on the side so that it doesn't spoil the food. They can reuse it or recycle it somehow, you know, in the next meal. But with your salad dressing, make sure you stir the dressing. Otherwise, you just get the top layer and then the person coming after you gets the bottom layer and it's all all a bit off. So none of you get the right taste. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, good day. So we'll catch you back here at four. It's uh, what's the time now? It's two thirty, around two thirty now. So about an hour and a half. We'll see you in in for dinner, and we'll catch you up after dinner. Good day. Thanks, guys.